Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast. This is a podcast on race, justice, and Jesus. We are your hosts. My name is Neil Sandlin. I'm Tyler France. Tyler, a.k.a. Redeem France. And I just want to let y'all know, uh, Tyler's working on an album, not to just plug that but i'm gonna plug it <laughs> and i had a chance to listen to a couple songs and uh man guys it is gonna be fire uh tyler i'm very <laughs> very excited about it well we are the outsiders we call ourselves the outsiders because we are outsiders from society because we are in the kingdom of god not in the system of this world we are outsiders from politics because we do not fit either into the republican or democratic mm. philosophy platform ideology we are outsiders from American evangelicalism as the way that things are currently constructed. And there are some things that even happened this week yeah. that has uh, made me further entrench myself into that position <laughs> as an outsider from American evangelicalism. Because so many times uh, they play games with things. Yeah. They play an us versus them kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's constructed right now, the way that it has morphed, I am not comfortable. And I know Tyler is not comfortable. I'm not. Um, fitting into those things either. And most importantly, for this podcast, we are outsiders from the African-American community because we mm -hmm. are not black. We're not. Even We're still not. We are still not. We weren't <laughs> last podcast, and we are still not. And even though we have walked hand-in-hand hand all of our lives with our brothers and sisters mm -hmm. of the African-American community, uh, there are things that we do not understand and we do not rightly comprehend and relate to because of our experience because we are anglo middle class we are you know white yeah. americans and so that is why we call ourselves the outcast podcast and the purpose of this is to educate ourselves we want to educate white people we want um i know for myself and and as we've already discussed we are in the process of learning these things ourselves. Tyler is learning things. I am learning things. And we want to help educate our white brothers and sisters who do not uh, understand these things either. And so yep. we're trying to, to work through that and bring up discussion and talk about those things. And we want to be advocates and defenders of black lives. We mm -hmm. want to be advocates and defenders of their dignity and their equality. And we felt like one of the ways that we can do that is through a podcast. And the truth is, you may not, and well, let's just say this, as these podcasts go along in episodes, you will find yourself not agreeing with us on things. That's yes. just going to happen. Inevitably. And we're good with that. We are good Absolutely. with that. We, uh, we want you to think about what you're listening to. We mm. want you to engage with it intellectually. And we think that what will happen is as we discuss things, as we think, as we listen, as we interact, we will learn, we will grow, and yep. we will come to a better understanding of these things and be able to better love each other. And yeah. that's really that's what... That's the goal. That's, I mean, that's the goal of this podcast. That's why we're doing this. Absolutely. That's right. The goal of this podcast is just to help us love each other better. Yeah. And um, that that is our goal. One thing that we decided we were going to start, and we did this last week, is just before we get into the topic of the day, we want to just do a quick heart check. And so with each other and just kind of find out a little bit of where we are, we kind of discuss these things off mic yeah. a little bit, but we also want to kind that's, of... That's another reason we started this podcast is because we talked about this stuff anyway. Yeah, anyways. we did. We talked about <laughs> all this constantly. stuff anyway, so we're like, why don't we just record some of this stuff that we're talking about and make yeah. it a little bit more uh, structured right. so that people can follow along with us. But I, I think bringing how we're feeling to the podcast matters. I think yeah. people... Um, we'll be feeling certain ways and certain kind of ways about mm -hmm. things. And so I think us bringing it 
and letting everyone know kind of where we're coming from uh, weekly is is an important thing. And so I'll just start with myself. Yeah. Uh, I think there's always going to be a, a little bit of a tension between the encouragement and the discouragement. Right. Um, we're always going to be seeing things in society that discourages us, uh, whether it's videos that we see people acting in a racist way, whether it's um, seeing people just acting a fool and right. being ridiculous, and, and that'll discourage us. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe hearing from our brothers and sisters who are African-American about something they've experienced, that's yeah. that's always going to hit us. Uh, but this week, I had a couple things that happened that, man, just really encouraged me. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is a dear friend of mine that I uh, have known my ent- literally my entire life reached out to me and wanted just to talk about these things, and mm-hmm. he had some thoughts that, and um, that I hadn't thought about and some things that he was able to bring up that that really helped me and that I was able to, to kind of work through in my own mind and, and bring to this. I hope that I was able to do the same thing for him. And so we just sat over lunch and talked for a couple hours about these things and discussed them. And man, it was just such a, it ended in prayer for each other. And it was just such a glorious time gathering together yeah. with each other. And just, that's what it's about, man. That's, we, that's why we do this. Yeah. And, and Start those conversations. Yeah, and if if this podcast and and my speaking about things that I'm passionate about and things the Lord laid on my heart um, kind of spurred that conversation, then then I'm really good. And and having two brothers in Christ who come came at it with humility and trying to be loving to, toward one another, it was just, it was just fantastic. And then yeah. another thing that happened last week, I I kind of provocatively a little bit. Um, <laughs> put out my opinion on the Confederate monuments right, right. and what, what I felt about those and mm-hmm. some of my personal opinions about those. And I'm not going to go into that here. We'll do a, <laughs> we'll do an episode about, about that at some point. And, uh, but what happened was, is I had a thread that went on on Facebook and it mm-hmm. was like over a, a hundred different comments. And I had a, a woman who I went to school with, went to high school with, was just observing it. Mm-hmm. She wasn't even commenting. She was just observing. And I tried really hard to conduct myself with humility and patience and love in that thread while still giving my opinion and, and throwing things out there for things to think about. And that was last month. That was in, I think, the beginning of June yeah, um, or maybe the middle of June. Mm. And this woman reached out to me last week and said, Hey, I know this thread's a month old, but I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Thank you for bringing it up. Thank you for, um, discussing it the way that you did. Mm. It raised some thoughts in her own mind and she was able to see some blind spots in her own life and change her mind about some of the things that she was thinking about that. And that that's encouraging to me. Uh, not that she had to agree with me on it, mm-hmm. but the fact that this was an area that she hadn't thought as much about as she wanted to. And because of being used by the Lord, they, those conversations in started happening, her mind started to fire off thoughts yeah, yeah. that she hadn't thought about before. And so those are things that are really encouraging for me because, you know, Tyler, you know, as we talked about why we wanted to do this podcast and why we wanted to, to speak about these things and speak yeah. on these things was hopefully to get people, um, that were ignorant. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a bad yeah. sense, yeah. but just, just not in, knowing, they don't yeah, know. not yeah. knowing something or right. not thinking about something mm-hmm. all of a sudden, man, I've never thought about that before. Or I've never engaged with it that way before. Right. Uh, being to start 
thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a super encouragement to me. So I kind of come to this podcast, you know, always with the heart of, you know, mad at racism existing yeah. and, and mad about people being sin- sinful and wicked, but also being really encouraged because the the fruit of some of the things that we wanted to see happen, you know, have happened. And, and so that's been really, really encouraging. What about you, Tyler? How yeah. have you... How do you come oh, man, to this? Oh man, I hate to follow that with such a downer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, well, I'm asking about the heart. So, you, you are, know, man. So I, I watched a video last week that absolutely broke my heart. It, it infuriated me, actually. Uh, this white man goes to Harrison, Arkansas. Mm-hmm, I saw that. Yeah, dude. All he does is hold a sign that says "Black Lives Matter." Mm-hmm. And while I'm not going to repeat all of what was said to him, I'll share a few things to give listeners some insight. Uh, the first interaction was a man in a gray van and he yells, have a little pride in your race, brother. Uh, this is followed by an older man in a car that says in about 10 minutes, I'm going to be back and you better, you better be expletive Mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. A woman pulls up and says, what about white lives? We matter too. And you are a white man Mm -hmm. as if to say that that is conflicting right Right. like white men should not be advocates for Mm -hmm. uh almost done another man speeds past the guy holding the sign saying you're a marxist and a communist which is something that we hear often Mm -hmm. yeah with a lot of our our perspectives and and we're going to do a uh we're going to do a podcast episode on that too um and how that's that's a little bit of a cop-out in a lot of ways um but then another man drives by and says no they don't just plain mm-hmm. in response to the sign that says Black Lives Matter, yeah. dude says, no, they don't. And, and and am I right in saying that that is one of the headquarters of the KKK? Is that why yeah. that guy went there? He went to yeah. the, that city because he knew this is one of the headquarters of the KKK nationally. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, that, so he goes there, which is it's it's known as a racist town and, and it did not disappoint. Yeah. Uh, like and, four or five minute long of just. Yeah. Constant racist comments. And stuff that we would never repeat on this thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, But the last one broke my heart the most. And it said, it was a guy in a red truck and he said, find Jesus. Mm. That one there, bro, Mm -hmm. that one hit different. Yeah. As if to say that that someone who believes black lives are important and should be advocated for cannot know Jesus. Right. Is beyond twisted. Right. Um, and something that I thought of was, man, this is not a video from the fifties, right? This is a video from 2020, 2020. And these ideologies are very much alive and well today. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in 2020, especially depending on where you live, if you live in Harrison, Arkansas, then maybe it's, it's more outright. Yeah. Uh, but there are, it's a little more subliminal, Mm -hmm. you know, where you and I live right in, in Dallas. Um, but it's still there. And, and I've seen it and my black friends have noticed as well, very mm-hmm. much so. So, uh, a, a very large portion of white Americans and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, but have little to no concept of, of, they have little to no concept or they ignore it or they're actively against the idea and deny its existence of those kind of ideologies still being alive. Right. You right. know, like I, I, I know so many people that will literally say that that's just, that was back then. Mm-hmm. Dude, move yeah. on. Yeah. The only people that think like that are the only people that deal with, are just a tiny little group, fringe group 
Yeah. Um, then why do I see videos every single day? Dude, every single day. Every day. And if you're a Christian, it's vitally, I'm talking to Christians here, it's vitally important that we stand against systemic and racial injustices because there's no room for any of that in Christianity Mm-mm. or the Bible. Yeah. Scripture leaves no room for race-based supremacy. Mm-mm. It leaves no room for mistreatment of fellow image bearers. It takes hard stances against these things. Mm-hmm. And guys, if we don't understand that, then we are in danger of misunderstanding God's heart on these issues. Yeah. Um, or worse, even tying his heart or tying our yeah, ideologies. Tie, yeah, tying our ideology to Christianity and the kingdom of God. Christianity and, and misrepresenting God in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, so really, man, I've, like I said, I hate to be a downer after you're, you're so positive, but, (laughs) um, I, man, that, that broke my heart, but it also lit a fire under my tail today. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm anxious to get into this next topic and, you know, uh, in this next segment of the theology. So let's chat about biblical justice. Uh, justice is a word that we hear a lot in today's society, but Neil, I wonder mm-hmm. how many truly understand what that means. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's probably the word, at least right now, this yeah. summer, Yeah. besides COVID, mm-hmm. I think it's the, the word that we've probably heard the most, Yeah. you know, in a philosophical or theological context, Everything social context. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if, if you're a Christian, we have the privilege of being able to go to scripture and see what God says about that. Mm-hmm. We don't have to guess. Right. That is a beauty of being a Christian. Yeah, and, and you're going to hear us <laughs> say this a million times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We as Christians can do it better. Yeah. We can do this this thing better than the world can do it. Right. And and so when we're talking about justice, we have a biblical foundation for understanding what justice is. Right. Where the world does not. Right. The world does not have any idea of, of really what justice looks like. Right. Um, they have no grounding for it, if mm-hmm. you will. It's not that they can't execute justice mm-hmm. properly, but they don't have any rational grounding for it. And right. we as Christians get to go to scripture and, and it's all right there. It's laid out yeah. for us. <laughs> we don't have to guess. Nope. Uh, so, I, man, Tim Keller. I don't, I don't know if you guys know who Tim Keller is. Tim Keller. He's fantastic. Dude, he's and, the best. Uh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. And so he actually... Uh, was in Relevant Magazine, and he... Uh, was it an article? Uh, yeah, it was he, an article. But it was an article that he wrote about baptizing babies? No. It wasn't? No, so oh. you, you, would, you would probably he, agree with it then. It, no, no. He's a... He's <laughs> a uh, no, he is a... Um, Presbyterian. A Presbyterian. Yeah. And so the only thing that I really disagree with him on, and, you know, we're Baptists here, so, uh, is baptizing babies. That's why I, I asked about that. He is a Presbyterian, but that's about... I mean, that's about the only thing that I've ever read... From yeah. him, then I'm like, no, I don't agree with you on that. But right. dude, when he when it comes to these kinds of issues, yeah. man, he nails it. Yeah. He nails it, and he explains it really well too. He really uh, does. Yeah, so we're we're leaning heavily upon some things that he has said, right? Uh, and some things that he broke down in that in that article in Relevant Magazine, which is yeah. just on the up and up for everybody, for sure. And so, so his his first point was justice is care for the vulnerable. Mm. So the Hebrew word for justice occurs in its various forms more than 200 times. That's a lot. In the Hebrew Old Testament. That's that is a lot. a lot of times. Yep. And anytime that it's, it's repeated and repeated, there's a reason for that. Yep. Uh, it's both, it's most basic meaning is to treat people fairly. Mm. So it means mm. acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, no matter their race or social status. So yeah. there's nothing that, that changes it. Fair mm-hmm. is fair. 
right and, and deal with people the way that they should be dealt with when a wrong is done regardless of your situation in life we're going to make sure that that wrong gets punished equally regardless of who the wrong was done to period yep uh, it, it's not going to matter whether you have money or you don't have money, whether you're married, whether you're not married. None of that's going to matter. What's going to matter biblically is justice as its own thing. Right. And and looking at making sure wrongdoing gets punished and dealt with properly. Yeah. And that's what that, that word justice here is kind of uh, meaning. Right. But it, it also means more than just the punishment of the wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. Mm-hmm. So Deuteronomy 18 um, actually uses the word to direct that the priest of the tabernacle should be should be given a percentage of the people's income. Mm. So it's it's more of like a due. Yeah, well, uh, it, yeah, like and, what it, they're due, what they yeah. are, and what they are due because of it's the, a right because of the position they have because of the position they have. Yeah. These priests, because of the nature of being priests were given a percentage of the people's income and literally this that's where this word justice is used the the it's the priest justice the priest yeah. do what is do this person mm. as their right and so when we talk about that in applying to everybody we say well because you are a human being created in God's image going back to episode 1 right yeah, yeah. because you are a human being in God's image y'all go listen you are do mm-hmm. you have the right to make sure that justice is done to right, you, right? That you receive justice, period. Um, and that means whether it's punishment or protective care. Yeah, e- both of those would apply. Right. Whether whether punishment needs to happen mm-hmm. because someone perpetrated some kind of violent act against you or some kind of illegal act against you, right. or we need to make sure that we are protecting you properly, giving you the due and the rights that you belong that belong to you as a human being, so that other people can't do that right to you. Yeah, both of those things are true in this word justice. Yeah. So uh, and and also uh, this is why if you look at every place the word is used in the Old Testament. Several classes of people mm-hmm. come up constantly. Yeah, get brought up. So it's it's over and over again. Justice describes taking up the care of widows, orphans, immigrants, poor. Yeah, the marginalized people, uh, in society. Yeah, the weak, the vulnerable. The I don't mean weak in the sense that they you know like lesser, but right. that because of life situations, right. they're more at risk to not receive justice. Right. And, and now race is not involved in this because there was no race like that. It also go back to you know episode one right. when you talk about yeah. that race is social contract. But it was not a thing back in those times, so that mm-hmm. never really hit the radar. Right. Um, yeah. And and the reason why those categories are used in in scripture is because in this pre modern ag- agrarian mm-hmm. society, these four groups had no social power. None. So they lived in a perpetual state of any little thing happens, yep. boom, I'm I'm vulnerable. Any yep. any invasion, starvation, famine, yes, famine. all of that. So any group that had no social power was right. at risk. And so if we're going to expand that to today, it's, it's now minorities, refugees, migrant workers, absolutely, all of that, homeless, homeless people, people, single parents, oh yeah, um, elderly people, yep. people that. Are more more vulnerable? More vulnerable. I do that like once an episode. Yeah. Uh, 
Now I'll probably do it like five or six times this episode. What, what's not a thing in again? Uh, what was it? What, a jackalope? Jackalope's, a jackalope? Not, a thing. jackalope's no, not a thing. Bro. Um, so, so when we branch that out, we see that this is applying to more groups than just those specific groups in Scripture. Right. It, it's the idea that's being expanded here that that is super, super important. And I think right. one thing to, to capture here, mm. especially in the Old Testament, is that God, when judging a nation, God would look at how a nation treated those people. Mm. So those groups, those less powerful groups, Man. God would look at how the nation is treating them those groups, yeah. to judge whether or not that nation is acting according to God's standard. Right. And so it's so easy for us to, to look from the outside and see the powerful yeah. The the wealthy, mm-hmm. the the strong, and be like, man, look at Israel. They've got that beautiful temple that they built. Mm-hmm. They've got, you know, the king's palace and look at everything Solomon has gathered together. This is right. this is unbelievable. But God is not judging the nation on those things. Right. He's going all the way down to the heart mm-hmm. and saying, How are you treating those that aren't powerful? Yeah. How are you treating those that don't have social power? Mm-hmm. And any neglect of those needs, um, was a violation of justice. So, so why does he do that though? Why does he demand that we, yeah, it's because justice reflects the character of God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and why we should be concerned about vulnerable people Mm -hmm. and vulnerable groups is because God is concerned about them. Absolutely. So it, it is crazy to see how Often God is introduced as the defender of these groups in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and dude, I think what's so important—I mentioned it just—I I mentioned it just a while ago. Yeah, a little bit, but I want to kind of expand on it here. The world does not have a rational theological basis mm. for what justice is. Right. So they they create what justice is. They might get it right, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there, there, there is, they're still image bearers of God, even though it's tainted by sin. They might right. get it right, but they don't have a basis for basically saying, here's why we know we're getting it right. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we're saying is the Christian, the reason why we know what justice is, yeah. is because we are taking it from the heart and mind of God. Yeah. So the heart and mind of God is where we're getting idea, our idea of justice from. And we're not just grabbing it out of the air. We're not just doing what we think is reasonable or what we think is rational or logical and right. right. We're actually getting it from a source outside of ourselves. And that's what the world does not have to offer. Yeah. So when the world is talking about justice, if you're not getting the definition of justice from the character of God, then you're not getting justice. Yeah. You know, and that's Absolutely. where the world is gonna it's gonna fail and, and fall. And that's when those men and women in that video that I described, you know, they're they're yeah. thinking yeah. they're defending God. Yeah, and, and they're, they're in and they're direct not. violation to right. his word. God is called in Psalm 68 the father of the fatherless, a defender of widows. Again, not just to say that's all that he is a defender of, mm-hmm. but it is again getting through to us a theological point. Um, that God identifies with the powerless and he takes up the cause of the powerless. And that is our basis to make sure that we are a people of justice as well. Um, And and that's huge on on the largest level that we can think about. That Mm -hmm. is absolutely huge. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, also, you know, Tim Keller said, justice is right relationships. Mm. Um, so we must have a strong concern for the poor, but there's more to the biblical idea of justice than just that. Right. We, we get more insight when we consider a second Hebrew word that can be translated as being just. Most of the time, it's actually, it, it depends on the translation, right? So you got a translation mm-hmm. that might translate it as being just. Most of the time, it's translated as being, being righteous. Being righteous. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and so being righteous makes us think of certain things about ourselves. Yeah, like I'm faithful, I'm, you know, sex, I'm abstaining from sex until marriage. Right, yeah. Diligence in prayer, morality. Yeah, it's my, it's my private inner morality kind of thing, right? How right. I think about things, how I conduct myself, you know, privately. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of a lot of people's idea of what righteousness is. But mm-hmm. in the Bible, righteousness is way larger yeah, it's deeper. Yeah, yeah. than that. It is. And this Hebrew word actually refers to day-to-day living, right. a way a person conducts all relationships, all their relationships. Yep. Uh, family, society, all relationships. Are you being fair? Are you being generous? Are you being equitable? Are yeah. you being just in all the relationships that you have? And 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 that's huge because I'm, I think about it this way. When most people think about justice, mm-hmm. they think about justice on a very macro level. Yeah. So they're thinking of courts. Right. They're thinking of DAs. Mm-hmm. They're thinking of juries. Right. They're thinking of police officers making arrests. Mm-hmm. They think of justice as being done on macro levels. Right. Which, yes and amen. It, yes, right. We, we demand that mm-hmm. those people in authority be people who are just and defending justice. Right. But when this word then gets thrown in, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now we're, we're taking it to a micro level. We're, mm-hmm. we're shrinking justice down to say the way that you conduct all your relationships is about being just. Yes. So not just, not just your family right. that you see on a daily basis, not just your best friends that you see regularly, not just your neighbors that live next to you, but the person you meet at the grocery store. The person you meet at the gas station, the person that you meet in the park, the whatever, whoever it may be. You know, what did Jesus say right, when they asked, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus is basically saying, everybody's your Everyone. neighbor. Yep. Everyone who is in need is your neighbor. Right. And so what the Bible is doing is it's saying, yes, justice is a macro thing. Right. And justice is a micro thing. Mm. It is both those things together um, that need to happen. Yeah. And those two things together is, is, is a biblical understanding, uh, at least from these old two old Testament words of what biblical justice is. Yeah. Um, and, and that is very, very important for us to, to recognize. Yeah, for sure. And, and also we need to recognize that if there was, if everyone was living righteously, then there would be no need for justice. Yeah. 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 If we were doing the second, if we were doing the second Hebrew word, right. Yeah. That word justice. Right. There would be no need for the second word for justice. Right. Because if you we're need loving, to defend the oppressed, the weak, needy, poor, immigrant. Yeah, we if, wouldn't have to have any kind of special protection for them yeah. because everybody's protecting them in the way that they live every single day. Right. Everyone is defending them. Everyone mm-hmm. is pleading their cause and taking it up every single day. And so if everybody was doing that, there would be no need for any kind of macro level of right. 
justice to be done right. because the micro is taking care of it. Yeah. And, and that, again, that's, that's so important. The problem is, is that we don't do that. We don't live righteously day to day. Right. We don't live justly. We're not being just on a day to day basis right. so that because of that, this other justice has to be enacted and the, the two go together. And so when you type, when you take those two and you tie them together, mm-hmm. you, you get what is really the biblical idea of social, social justice. justice. Yeah. Um, there, when, when people say, Oh, you shouldn't be for social justice. That's nonsense. Right. The, the Bible is for social justice. Jesus is for social justice. Right. You just got to do it the Bible's way. Right. You can't do it the way you make up. Yeah. You have to do it <laughs> scripturally. And so when we take these two ideas of, of justice and righteousness and you put them together, then you get a biblical idea of what you know justice, yeah. social justice actually is. I want you to speak on uh, the, the fourth point, and that's justice includes generosity. Yeah, so... Because that's... I've never thought of that. I mean, I, I've never really seen that as as something of justice but man when we were digging into it it, yeah so wow most people think of justice primarily as the punishment of wrongdoing right um you did this you get this yeah you did this thing so this thing's gonna happen to you right and it's not that people it's not that people are indifferent right it's not that they go oh well justice doesn't matter right they just don't see how they necessarily can be a part of justice. Right. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're like, well, I, I'm not a prosecutor. I'm mm-hmm. not, I can't arrest somebody. I'm not a judge. I, there's, there, I, I, how can I be involved in justice? Now, we've already taken care of some of that because we've said, well, the way that you conduct yourself on a daily, day, ba- daily, daily basis is yes. how the Bible thinks of it. But also, it's this idea of, of charity and generosity. Mm-hmm. Now, when... Most people think of charity, they have in their mind some kind of optional activity, yeah. right? Because we talk about charities, right. yeah. giving to charities. Well, yeah. And that's certainly optional. That's, that's a good deed. That's something that you choose to do. Yeah, but you don't have to. You don't have to. Right. And we're certainly not on here talking about what charities you need to give to. Right. Uh, first and foremost, give to your local church. Um, <laughs> yeah. Amen. But what... And so people, because the word charities thought about in the context of charities, mm-hmm. it becomes something we can do or not do. Right. It's, it's not a requirement. Right. However, this idea doesn't really fit with the strength or the balance of biblical teaching hmm. in scripture. Matthew chapter six talks about this. When gifts of, of the poor gifts to the poor are given, mm-hmm. they're described as acts of righteousness. That's right. Yep. Now, when when you use that language, you go, well, acts of righteousness are not optional. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? That's become a command. That's not... Yeah, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, whoa, no, I'm supposed to be all about acts of righteousness. I, I went to, um, I told you, I've shared this before in the podcast, I think, I went to a, a private Christian school, and at the time it was a King James uh, only He was school. a swordsman, y'all. I was a swordsman. And, and <laughs> literally, we memorized all of Scripture in the King James version of the Bible, mm-hmm. which was written in 1611, which has all the vows and the these mm-hmm. and the doest and the thouest and the thys and all that. And so as a little kid, you can imagine trying to memorize everything in King James only and getting really confused as to what, right. you know, things mean. One of the things that I find interesting looking back on it is I memorized first Corinthians chapter 13 and the word love there is the word charity. Mm. And 
that it wasn't optional, right? Yeah. We, we look at it as love, right? And we don't, we don't go, if I have not charity optional, right. I'm a noisy gong, noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. No, right. we go, oh no, no, we have to do that. Charity. We have to. Well, yep. because that charity is love and yep. acts of righteousness. And Amen. so that's what scripture is getting at. When, when we talk about generosity, we talk about acts of righteousness. We're talking about giving to the poor. We're talking about acts of love. Mm. And so not giving generously is to then be stingy. Mm. It is to be unrighteous. It is a violation of God's law. Right. You know, and so that is massively important. Being a stingy person and and not giving charitably, yeah. not giving lovingly, and not giving to to those in need. It's that's that's not just some optional thing. Right. It is actually an act of righteousness. Yeah. And that is massively important for understanding this. And and Job, you know, remember Job was being accused of not being charitable. Oh yeah. Joseph, Job was accused of failing to do these things. But Job says something in Job chapter 31. It says that every failure to help the poor is a sin and an offense to the splendor of God. Wow. And so he says in verse 28 of that chapter doesn't sound 31. Optional. That no. doesn't sound optional. Yeah. No. And he says it's deserving of judgment and punishment. Mm. So this is the pervasive attitude that scripture's coming to. Scripture's coming to the idea that to be a stingy person, to not view your goods as needing to be used to help other people, to not share your bread as an asset to the poor, is not not just something that you should or should not do as an option. It is actually unrighteousness, a sin against God, and and a violation of God's justice. Um, that hits hard. Yeah. That hits hard to me personally. Mm -hmm. And so while we can try to draw a line between justice as legal fairness, let's let's, just think about it, right? Let's, let's start, start from the top, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the macro level. We got the Supreme court. Yep. We've got federal courts. We've got state courts. We've got, you know, city courts. And we, we say all of them should punish wrongdoing whenever we see it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody disagrees. disagrees with that. Nobody disagrees. We all say, mm-hmm. yes, justice needs to be done. Right. Um, at least anybody listening to this podcast, yeah. um, they're, they're like, yes, justice needs to be done. Right. But then you go down to the, a, a smaller scale and you say, okay, well, that's true. But also mm-hmm. the way that you conduct yourself on a daily basis mm-hmm. in, in every single area, yeah. whoever you come in contact with. Right. How you conduct yourself then and there is also about justice. Mm. So your act of righteousness is justice. Wow. The way that you love that person in those quick interactions, the way that you love people in your home, your neighbors, whoever it may be, those interactions and the way that you conduct yourselves with acts of righteousness there, including, but not limited to, generosity yeah. of goods, mm. that that is about justice. We do not draw that line mm-hmm. from the macro to the micro. micro. Yeah. God does not do that. Amen. We're new creation beings, and that new mm-hmm. creation is a part of every bit of our lives. So a just person lives a life of honesty, equity, generosity in every single aspect of their lives. So if you're wow. trying to live a life 
accordance with the Bible, the, the concept and call to justice is inescapable. inescapable. You have yep. to do it. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. But it is also goes down to the smallest acts of generosity, mm-hmm. social concern, especially to those who do not have those power. Groups. Yeah, those yeah. small groups that do not have power and do not have the ability sometimes to defend themselves. Yeah. And, to, and so people, if we're going to be new creation beings, then we have to be a people who demand that justice gets done at the mac- macro level and at the micro level in our personal lives. Well, we told you at the top of this episode that we are going to basically break down a historical segment as a second part Mm -hmm. from last week's episode. And we left off last week talking about the Reconstruction era. And I just want to kind of do a little refresher here just for a moment. In spite of everything that African Americans were experiencing, they were relentless. And during Reconstruction, they began impacting public lives. Uh, um, Black and white started going to school together. They started getting involved in politics. politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had the 14th and 15th Amendment. But now you started having African Americans, especially in the South, capitalize on their numbers. I mentioned the numbers last episode, but I want to do it again. In Virginia, 35% of the population were African Americans. 36 in North Carolina, 44 in Georgia, 45 in Florida, and in Alabama, 50% in Louisiana, 55% in Mississippi, and 59% in South Carolina. And they began voting. And they started winning. They voted African Americans into office. There were mayors, mayors, governors, Congress. All of this, though, was way too threatening for most white Southerners. Um, and, and Northerners. And yeah, and yeah. white Northerners right. as well. In fact, according to Emerson and Smith in Divided by Faith, due to political compromise, the immensity of the task, hostilities, and declining interest focus on overseas expansion and the industrialization issues, <laughs> the white Northerners largely abandoned the freed people and their attitudes were growingly becoming similar to that of white Southerners. Mm. So... Basically, at, at what began to happen is the mood all over the country yeah. began to be the same among white people. They, they started fearing for their life, their positions. Yeah. Yeah, their way of life, their position, their vision of Christianity oh, man. in America, um, which most believed it was supposed to be an Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-Saxon. society. Yeah. Because of the fear of all those things, there began to be pushback. Mm. And in fact, according to George Marsden, he estimates that during this time period, half of the population and 85% of Protestants were evangelical. That's, in, that's important yeah. because there is no way the things that we're about to discuss here in this historical segment mm-hmm. could have ever taken place if the church as a whole would have stood against them. Yeah. If the church would have stood against these things, mm. then... It wouldn't have happened. But instead of standing against them, they were actually largely supported by professing Christians. And I want to talk about three things here as a means of keeping what white people use to keep racism front and center at the end of the Civil War. After the Civil War. Right. Front and center after the Civil War. The first is what is called called the lost cause Mm. narrative. Mm -hmm. This was a way of Southerners to make sense of their loss. 
it took, it basically created a myth right. that white pre-Civil War South was a virtuous patriot, patriotic group right. of tight-knit Christian communities that all they wanted was to be left alone to preserve their idyllic society. And it was the godless North mm-hmm. who came and ruined these godless communities, these, these godly communities. So they saw themselves as these godly communities yeah. that were doing everything right. And the North were coming in, the godless North were going to come in and ruin all that. Yeah. It, it blows me away. Cause uh, I mean, the, the narrative that they're the victims like the, these godless, uh, again, demonizing, uh, making people less than human, saying these godless people are coming to ruin my way of life. Right. Um, and that included blacks and right. it included, you, you know, doing that to the north. Yeah. You know, saying that about the north as well. And truly, yeah. it's an alternate history. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the important thing to understand for the sake of time. It was wrapped up in Christianity. Yeah. It was wrapped up in Christianity. Exactly. Many clergy and religious leaders did not change their mind about race right. after the Civil War and Reconstruction. And so the lost cause provided this fertile ground. It provided this model for segregation that Southern churches accepted. Right. Uh, it's important to note that white supremacy was behind the lost cause narrative. Mm. Here in the South... We whites were supreme, mm-hmm. and we, even in our churches, we're wrapping all of this up, and the Lost Cause narrative basically just explained all that was. It was, in fact, during this time period... And that when the monuments went up, right? That, that tons mm-hmm. of Confederate monuments were erected, yep. and Confederate memorials were erected on public grounds... Um, Confederate Memorial Days were celebrated in churches. So not only did churches, some churches actually put a Confederate monuments on their property. So what does that say? That's to, a statement. Right what there. does that say to the black people that yeah. show up for church on Sunday? Right. And then they had Christian Confederate Memorial Days mm. celebrated in their church, um, making the Confederate leaders heroes. Yeah. So in the South, after the Civil War, the Christian Confederacy connection was visible in public places and houses of worship. Jamar Tisby did a bunch of research in, the, in his book, Color of Compromise, on how the, the church became public places of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for much of the white South, <sighs> they saw their role as on top of the social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And... Anything that threatened that was going to be crushed. So reduce the power of the blacks. Yes, we have to reduce black power mm-hmm. any way possible. Yep. And at the time, if you remember what we said about blacks voting, right. at voted. the time, the mm-hmm. most important way to squash any influence African Americans are going to have is by voting. Yep. Um, and so they begin to work toward that. Democratic nominee for president in 1868 was Horatio uh, Seymour. One of the pamphlets that he passed around to promote his presidency had this motto on it. This was in 1868, so after the Civil War. This is a white man's country. Let the white man rule. So that tells you the attitude of white people didn't change just because the Civil War Mm -hmm. was over with. Just because Reconstruction 
what was happening. Right. There was still this narrative, and in the South, the lost cause narrative mm-hmm. was going on. And several years after Horatio Seymour lost, mm-hmm. the Compromise of 1877 happened. Mm-hmm. The Compromise of 1877 ended Reconstruction. It officially ended it. Um, Democrats agreed to award the presidency to Rutherford B. Hayes on one condition, that he allow states to exercise something called home rule in the South. Mm -hmm. And here's what that meant. That meant that federal troops that had been in Southern states after the Civil War were now going to leave, Mm -hmm. which meant that black people were now going to be at the lack of mercy of the state and local governments Mm -hmm. in the South. Once that happened, conditions in the South began to fall apart super quick. Um, They began legislating things in the South super quick. In fact, one of the first things they legislated was segregations on trains. And they made African-Americans ride on separate cars. This eventually went all the way to the Supreme Court. And on May 18th, 1896, the Supreme Court ruled that separating the races did not mean that one race was superior over the other. Hmm. So these segregation laws that were happening in the South were able to hold. Because the Supreme Court said just because there's separation doesn't mean there's inequality being expressed. Right. So there was an olive branch extended there and now separate but equal. Yes. That's where the phrase separate but equal came from initially was was that ruling. And Mm -hmm. so putting African-Americans in their own car Mm -hmm. on a train and putting white people in their own car, the Supreme Court said there's there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that became known as the separate but equal doctrine. Now, you can imagine how this played in churches as well. Many Southern Christians saw this as an opportunity to segregate without any, you know, anything coming down on them from the law. Yeah. So now. So they're excited about this. Yes. Like this is not something that's, that's forced on them or anything like that. They They are excited about this. They use this as a means of pushing a narrative Mm -hmm. Um, that continued with the lost cause narrative that basically said these black people don't know how to live as free people. So they need to be segregated away from us. Mm -hmm. We'll train them the way they should go. We will train them. We will train them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It very important. They, they looked at these former black slaves as not having good work ethic. Mm -hmm. They were unclean. Um, they were naturally bent toward crime. We white people aren't naturally bent toward crime, but right. the blacks are. Right. Um, and they, they desired interracial sexual relationships. So separate but equal sounded fantastic to white churches. Mm-hmm. And it was implemented all over churches of the South. We said this last week, segregation started in the churches. Right. Churches grabbed a hold and began to segregate, and and when that happened, um, when that Supreme Court ruling happened, the churches use that now as carte blanche. I can do whatever we want to now with mm-hmm. black people in our churches, and we can segregate. So that's the lost cause narrative. Yeah. Then you had the KKK. Um, it's fixing to get 
worse if yeah. you're not already depressed it's fixing to get more depressing yeah. so the kkk had three we're, different... we're gonna need your positive up yes we, yeah <laughs> uh, three different iterations the first iteration was during reconstruction and it was created to stop african americans from having equality and power so they believed we're gonna we're gonna create this group mm-hmm. and this group is we want to stop reconstruction from happening where african americans get power mm-hmm. It became super violent very quickly. Yep. And because of that, Congress actually had to step in and pass a an act. They called it the, the Ku Klux Klan Act. It fined and imprisoned anyone who conspired together or go into disguise in order to deprive a person of equal protection under the law. Um, then you have the second iteration of the KKK. Now, this didn't focus on Reconstruction because by the time this came about, Reconstruction had already failed. Right. So Reconstruction had already... It was done yeah. by the time this second iteration came about. So they were not trying to get rid of Reconstruction. Instead, mm-hmm. what this second wave of KKK did is it fused Christianity, nationalism, and white supremacy into an evil ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, in a book by Kelly Baker... Uh, called the Gospel of KKK, it states that the KKK was a movement not only to defend America, but to defend Protestantism. 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 Jackalope's not a thing. As they saw it, and it was a religious order. Yeah. So we need to understand the KKK has always been a religious religious order. This second wave made it more religious than than ever before. If, it, if the first wave was religious, the second wave is certainly religious because now it's not about getting rid of Reconstruction. Now it is about defending America and defending Christianity as they saw it. Which, again, that's kind of the ideologies that were in that video that I was talking about. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's this. Yeah. 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 This is what Christianity means to me. And so... Find Jesus because find, you yeah. think black lives matter. You need to find Jesus. They hated blacks and they hated Jews because they saw Jews and blacks as a threat to white Protestant America. And this is the number that will, that crushed me five years ago when I first read it. This second wave of the Ku Klux Klan had over 40,000 Christian ministers who were members. 40, four zeros guys. Thousand. Christian ministers. That's crazy. Who were members of the KKK? Ministers. Ministers. These are, not members of churches. These are not members. These are ministers. Ministers. Yeah. Um, as Jamar Tisby says, some of the same men who conducted night rides on Saturday ascended to the pulpit to preach on Sunday. Gosh. Um, that's crushing. Yeah. When you know what a pastor is supposed to be, yeah. it's just crushing. This second wave was led by a man named Thomas Dixon Jr. He was a son of a Baptist preacher. In fact, he was a Baptist preacher himself. Again, crushing to me and Tyler as Baptist ministers. He wrote books romanticizing the KKK. And one of those books was turned into a movie. Mm -hmm. And the movie was called The Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm. Um, It was one of the biggest... Yeah, it was, movies it was, up it to was that like time. the first blockbuster. It was it was the biggest movie up to that time. And in the movie, the movie defends the KKK and basically sets them up as defenders of integrity 
and defenders of God. Again, this stupid and false narrative that they're, yeah. they're heroes. That they're the heroes. Defending God from less than human. And we are fighting to make sure that Christianity stays what Christianity should be. Yeah. In fact, this movie, The Birth of a Nation, mm. was one of the first movies shown in the White House. And President Woodrow Wilson, who watched it, loved the movie and even stated that it was like writing history with lightning. Now, one thing to know about Woodrow Wilson, he was a Southern Presbyterian. Uh, He supported the Presbyterian Church of the Confederate States of America in 1861. Remember last episode, we talked about Presbyterian churches split, like Mm -hmm. Methodist churches Mm -hmm. split, Southern Baptists split off, and then you had the Southern Confederate States of America, the Presbyterian Church of the Confederate States of America. Well, he supported their right to own slaves. Now he's the president and he loves this movie, calling it Writing History with Lightning. Jeez. This movie came about at the end of the second wave Mm -hmm. and it sparked a third wave, a rebirth in the KKK around 1915. Once again, religious ideologies Mm -hmm. soaked with the Klan. And they wrote tons of literature as well. Listen to a quote that the Grand Dragon of Oklahoma said at the time, around 1915. The Klan was built upon the sublime reverence for our Lord and Savior, coupled with the maintenance of the supremacy of that race of men whose blood is not tainted with the colorful pigments of the universe. Mm. So they believed that this was a a way to defend Jesus and a way to defend his church from those who were not white who would destroy it. The KKK has always been a racist terror organization led by professing Christians. I'm going to restate that so that if you're listening to this, you can let that hit you hard. The KKK has always been a racist terror organization led by professing Christians. Historically, you can't separate it. That's just crushing. Yeah. That is heartbreaking. And I would love to say that the KKK was always just a fringe group, but they were not. 40,000. We think of them being a fringe group now, but they were not. Yeah. 40,000 ministers were a part of it. And that's not to mention all the members of the churches that were a part of it as well. So the myth of the lost cause, the existence of the KKK, Mm. began to bolster convictions of white people who still did not believe that black people were equal. So white people who are in power kept coming up with new ways to keep their power. What are new things we can do to keep our power? We're going to create the KKK. We're going to, we like that separate but equal thing. We're going to segregate in our churches, but it wasn't enough. And so they created what was known as the Jim Crow laws. Laws. Jim Crow laws were developed. And this, this was a system of laws and customs to revive the social order that slavery had enabled. So people always want to know where Jim Crow came from, where Jim Crow came from. Mm -hmm. Um, I, when I've been talking to white people, most white people don't know what Jim Crow laws are. Right. Um, Which that's that's eye opening too. I mean, yeah, that, the, yeah, yeah. Nor do they have any clue where you know the name Jim Crow came from. Why why are they called Jim Crow laws? Yeah. Um, so the name Jim Crow comes from a minstrel character played by Thomas Rice in the 1830s and 40s. 
And what he would do is he would dress up in blackface um, and stereotype black intelligence, sex, hatred of white people, and rebellion under slavery. So Mm -hmm. he would dress up in blackface and then take all of these wicked stereotypes and place them on black people to say, here's what black people are. So he's a symbol to poison people against black people. Yes, he was used as a symbol. This actor dressed up in blackface was used as a symbol to stereotype Black people. By yep. the way, if you want to know why blackface is not accepted, it goes all the way back to Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering why white people dressing up in blackface is offensive, yeah, it goes all the way back to right here. Um, so what happened is after the Civil War, white people reached back into these movies mm-hmm. and stated, look, these movies are telling us what black people are like. These movies are telling us the, the, the condition of black people. And if we don't want our idea of what we have for American Christianity to get ruined, we need to segregate from these people or they're going to destroy our precious society. Mm. So it took separate but equal, which was established by the Supreme Court, it took it further. Mm -hmm. It took it in the form of laws and customs to segregate and subjugate subjugate black people and it applied to the entire United States. Mm. Laws... um, and customs such as sundown towns. Oh. Now, I had not known a lot about sundown towns until yeah. I started studying this. Yeah. Um, I had heard the, the the phrase before, but I didn't have really a good concept. Did you, same. Tyler, know? No, same. Yeah. But- and, and sundown towns were basically these communities where black people had to be out before sunset mm-hmm. or they were going to face some serious consequences. Right. Um, some of the cities posted signs that read things like "inward, don't let the sun go down on you in this town." Um, what's scary is the video that you yeah. talked about that we both have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna be back in ten minutes, and you better be gone. Somebody else said, as a warning, you better not be here yeah. when the sun goes down. Yeah, um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's sundown that's town. That, that, that's a thing. <laughs> that's, that's back. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy to yeah. me that that's you know still. A thing in certain towns. Yeah. Um, now, in order to purge black people out of these communities, mm-hmm. they they would actually go into black neighborhoods and violently remove people out of their homes and kick mm-hmm. them out of their cities yeah. and out of their na- na- neighborhoods. Other customs, not only sundown towns, but other customs were separate diners, yep. sports, prisons, uh, prisons, cemeteries, schools, schools yep. bathrooms, mm-hmm. um, water fountains. Movie theaters. I mean, it, it just it ran the, the gamut. It was yeah. get black people mm-hmm. out of where white people are. Yeah, we're gonna subjugate you to these other places. You don't get to use anything that we use. Yeah, you don't get to vote. Mm-hmm. You have no say in you have no say in society at all. Right. And, and again, it was supported by Christians. It was supported, supported by professing Christians. Yes, even used the Bible. To defend the separation of the races and the two never mixing. Yeah. So they they would, I mean, sermons were preached. I have seen. Uh, Talk about bad theology. Sermon records, mm-hmm. you know, sermon notes of messages that were preached to defend segregation biblically. Mm-hmm. And if any African American or any white person defending an African-American acted against these laws or acted against these customs, there would be horrible consequences. 
And one of those consequences um, that nobody likes to think about today or contemplate on Mm -hmm. is that of lynching. Lynching. And lynching... Lynching was probably um, the worst thing that could be perpetuated on an African American. Yeah. Um, and it the terror that it caused can't be overstated. No matter how mm-hmm. bad we make it seem, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't reach the level of what actually yeah. was going on. Um, according to the Equal Justice Initiative, from 1877 to 1950, over four thousand African Americans were murdered by lynching. Yeah. Over four thousand. These would be public murders in order to create fear, fear and terror among the black population. Terrorist organization. They were a terrorist organization. Um they would lynch African Americans for anything. Mm-hmm. Anything that they wanted to use to keep black people in fear, they would do it. And I, I've just got a couple here that I want to read and I, I'm not trying to read these things to um to cause you yeah. to get squeamish yeah. for no reason. Right. I, I'm trying to help you to see the reality of what was going on at the time right. and how horrific what was going on at the time really was. In 1906, Edward Johnson, a black man, was convicted of raping a white woman and sentenced to death by an all-white jury in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His attorneys appealed the case and won what was a rare stay of execution from the United States Supreme Court. So, Mm -hmm. not going to get executed yet. Right. In response, a white mob seized Mr. Johnson from the jail, which had been vacated by the sheriff and his staff. Mm -hmm. Strategically. Strategically, absolutely. Uh, Dragged him through the streets and hanged him from the second span of the Walnut Street Bridge and shot him hundreds of... Of times, the mob left a note pinned on the corpse that read to Justice Harlan, who was the one who gave Mm -hmm. the stay, come and get your N-word now. Mr. Johnson used his last words to declare his innocence, and nearly a century later, he was cleared of the rape. In 1934, after being accused of associating with a white woman, and I put that in quotes because that was the charge. And guys, this is 1934. We're not in the 1800s anymore. We're not in the 1700s anymore. This is 1934. Yeah, World War I had already happened. We're in 1934. The accusation was associating with a white woman. Yeah. This was in Newton, Texas. John Griggs was hanged and shot 17 times, and his body was dragged behind a car through the town for hours. The crime associating with a white woman. Yeah. In July 1933 in Birmingham, Elizabeth Lawrence, an African-American mother and school teacher, was killed by a mob in her home near Birmingham. Miss Lawrence was walking along a country road about five miles from her home when a group of white young children began taunting her and throwing rocks and dirt at her. Now, she's a school teacher. Yeah. She's a mother. So she reacts as any mother and school teacher would. Right. She verbally reprimands the children, children and never touch them. Later on, a mob of men showed up at her home, shot her multiple times, and burned her home with her in it. Yeah. Probably the most... Um, popular. Or known. Yeah, well the known. most known, the most yeah. uh, popular, the most infamous... Infamous, that's a good word. Um, lynching was in 1955. Yeah. Uh, of The lynching of Emmett Till. 
14-year-old boy, was accused of offending a white woman in a grocery store. It needs to be noted that later she admitted that she lied. Afterwards, Emmett was abducted from his home by the white woman's husband and half-brother. He was beaten mercilessly Mm. before being shot in the head and thrown into a river. The men never faced justice and were freed. The reason why this became such a powerful moment in human history was because of the strength of Emmett Till's mother. Yeah. Uh, she had an open casket funeral. Yeah. You can actually Google the pictures of what Emmett Till looked like before and what he looked like after the beating. Yeah. Uh, it is it's... brutal and shocking. Yeah. But Emmett Till's mother wanted an open casket because she wanted the whole country to see uh, what had happened to her son. Yeah. She wanted to bring to light what had happened in the dark. She wanted to bring to light what decades of abuse had happened. She wanted that to come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And because of that, Emmett became an icon of the civil rights movement. Now, here's what's important for us to understand in this episode. Yes, there were some Christians who were speaking out against all of these things. But the majority of white Christians either remained silent out of fear Mm -hmm. Or they overtly supported these movements and actions. That is why attorney Brian Stevenson, if you remember the the Mm -hmm. book Just Mercy, Mm -hmm. and now the movie that Michael B. Jordan is in. Great movie. Go watch it. um, That Michael B. Jordan is in. Black Panther Mm -hmm. is, is in it. Not as Black Panther. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But, but he's in it. He's the bad guy um, in Black Panther. That's why the attorney that that movie and book mm-hmm. is all about, Brian Stevenson, that's why he said this. So while the, Na- the North won the Civil War, mm-hmm. the South won the Narrative War. Mm-hmm. That cannot be overstated as well. Yeah. The reason why things didn't change was because the narrative never changed. Yeah. And the narrative, unfortunately, of black people being less than, black people... Uh, being stereotyped with all these horrible things that we've discussed was pushed and promoted by the white church. All right, Neil. So what can we take away from this episode and this talk that we just had? Uh, Besides needing to get out of depression after hearing all that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we just heard the tones completely change. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's important. It's important that yeah. we went over all that. It's important that we addressed all of those injustices mm-hmm. um, and and did it in a kind of graphic way. Yeah. We, we've been sheltered too long, yeah, absolutely. I think. And mm-hmm. so I think what we need to do and what we need to really take away from this is that Christians should be a people of justice Amen. more Amen. than anybody else in the world. Amen. Like Neil said before, we, we should have more of a motivation to, to be of justice than anybody else because our God is a God of justice mm-hmm. in every single bit of society, every single bit of society, From the Supreme court to the supermarket where you live. Amen. Yeah. All of it, man, all of it. That's good. Uh, so we should we should always, it, when we see injustice, we should be opponents of that. 
That's right. And we should advocate for and stand with mm-hmm. people who are uh, being treated unjustly. Yep. And we should be active proponents of righteous justice, righteous deeds of generosity and love every single day. Yeah. Every single day. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. And if the truth is, if the white church had been biblically just yeah. in the history of this nation. Oh, we wouldn't even need this this historical segment. No, everything that we everything that we just did, all this depressing stuff that we just talked about, we wouldn't be able to do it because yeah. that way wouldn't have existed. Right. The the church, the white church, because they weren't fighting for biblical justice, the white church didn't do what they were supposed to right. do. It enabled all of this, and if they would have been biblically just, as they should have been, we would not have been able to do the same. As, as they're commanded to. As Remember, commanded like it's to. not just it's not it's just not an option. option. Yeah, it's, it's not an option. If if we as Christians did what we were commanded to do, then that historical, that depressing historical segment uh, wouldn't have needed to take place. Yeah, and we probably wouldn't do this podcast. Yeah, as well. yeah. And and here's what I want to say, kind of I guess to end. I don't want someone 50, 60 years from now mm. doing whatever form of media exists at that time. Right. Talking about my life yeah. and saying, if Neil Sandlin would have done what he should have done, mm. if Neil Sandlin would, would have been more just, yeah. then some of these things may have changed. Right. If the church would have been more just, some of these things would have changed. Yeah. I don't want future generations to be able to look back at this generation the yeah. way that we're looking back Let at that past never be said about us and not that things haven't gotten better of course they have right. but justice is an ongoing pursuit yeah. and it is a pursuit worthy of our calling as human beings and a pursuit worthy of our calling as Christians and that will never change Amen. and we thank you for joining us again on this episode of the podcast it looks like we are going to have a part three to our historical <laughs> our historical uh uh expose here if you will uh working through the the white church's failure uh, to be what they were supposed to be when it came to race relations but we will get to that in a couple weeks in the next episode and that should be the last one yeah <laughs> maybe then we I can move on and, we'll and get we'll into see. a little more but we want to thank you for joining uh, us for this one uh <laughs> Please promote the podcast, yeah. if you will. We believe it's a worthwhile uh, calling, and we believe it's a worthwhile pe- podcast, and we want you to, to be able to share it. We want you to, to rate us. We want you to leave a review. We want you to do all the things that you can do to make this the as most popular thing that we, we can do on our end. And um, So we love you. Thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, Let's and I'll keep you guys posted also about uh, my album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler, Tyler, so. we will keep you posted on his album. I'm, I'm for pretty sure. excited about that. It's pretty much completely recorded. Yeah. For those absolutely. of you who keep asking, uh, yeah. So we're we're gonna do that too. It's coming so. out, and right. it's gonna be a hot one as well. It's gonna be a hot it's one. It's gonna be a hot one as well. <laughs> we love you guys. We will see you next time on the Outsiders Podcast.